Seth said, I'm Joe. If you're new here, if you're listening online, uh, I serve as the worship pastor or associate pastor or whatever Aaron wants to call me that day. So, <laughs> But I'm excited to, uh, to preach this morning. Um, we've, been, uh, we've taken a few weeks off of walking through the book of Romans. Um, last week, Pastor Aaron talked about prayer that grabs the attention of God. And just what a reminder that there's power in prayer. And today, I get to preach on the bl- blueprint of worship. And so that's exciting for me because I typically lead the worship. I kind of oversee the worship here. And I also get to work with churches in the area of worship. And what's exciting to me is just to be able to step back sometimes because a lot of times we focus so much on the practical, so much on what we actually do here, how many songs, why, all these things. And it's good to step back and look at what the Bible actually talks about worship and that that is to govern the practical And so we're going to look at a passage uh, in Colossians chapter 3. And what we're going to do is we're going to read the passage. And then to build that foundation, we're going to back up. And we're going to look at the context of worship in Scripture. And then from that, we'll go back into the passage. And then we'll be able to see it, I think, more clearly. Because this passage is too easy to dive in and start nitpicking it with the practical in mind. And I don't want us to do that. I think we're going to miss miss something if we do. So we're going to read Colossians chapter 3. If you would, open up your Bibles, uh, whether it's on your phone or be on the screen as well. And let's stand in honor of God's word. Again, just thankful that he's given us a guide, given us instruction on how to obey him. Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. God's word says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. God, we're so thankful that you haven't just left us here to figure things out. That God, in your kindness, you've instructed us on exactly what to do, what pleases you, and ultimately what's best for us. God, open our hearts to your word this morning. Speak through it in a mighty way. I want to give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So again, we're going to get back to Colossians, but at first I want to ask the question, what is worship? And a lot of times it's like singing, right? We just read it, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And that is what we just did before I got up here. That, that's worship, right? Well, it is. Singing is worship, but worship is not singing. It's kind of like a square, right, and a rectangle. A square is always a rectangle, but a rectangle is only a square when the sides are equal. Singing the praises of God with thankfulness in your heart is worship. But worship is more than that, but it's not any less. There's all kinds of different definitions. In fact, if you were to join the praise team, there's, uh, there's member training that we take people through. And in that training, we, there's like four pages of these different definitions of worship. And I find it comical because I have the people read it and then we sit down and I'm like, what do you think? And they're like, I don't even know. I mean, there's like a million definitions. And, and the whole point of that is to... First, recognize that we've probably never defined it. The other thing is, is that all these definitions, they fall short because they're focusing on a very specific matter. They're narrowly defining worship. And so what I want to do is I want to back up and I want us to actually define worship in the grand scheme of what Scripture tells us, which then dictates how we do the practical things. Defining worship is important. A mentor of mine told me that your terminology becomes your theology. This can be dangerous when you have the wrong terminology because as soon as you believe something, it's just our natural desire, we believe something to be true, it's very hard for us to change that. And we start saying something 
and we say it in a way that we believe it's true, that becomes our theology and it really warps everything else. So it's dangerous to define worship, but we're going to do that today, okay? And we're going to do it in a way that I think you'll see is, is in line with Scripture. So one of the, the best ways, I think, to, for us to back up first and see worship is we're going to go to a story in Genesis. Genesis chapter 22, a lot of us are familiar with Abraham and Isaac, right? Abraham gives, or God gives Abraham and Sarah a promise of a child. They wait forever. Child's finally born, Isaac. Abraham's a hundred and some years old. We don't know how, how old Isaac is when God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to offer him as a burnt offering sacrifice. So I want you to take him to a mountain that I'm going to show you, and that's what I want you to do. I want to read a verse that might come as a shock when we actually understand this context. Abraham's told to offer Isaac as a burnt offering sacrifice. He rises in the early in the morning, grabs a couple of his young men and a donkey and they head off. And when it says, when he sees the mountain afar off, look what Genesis 22, 5 says. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. Did you guys catch that? He says, I and the boy will go over there and worship. Now, in light of the situation, that should come as a little as a shock, it's strange, odd. Why would Abraham call that worship? He knows what he's going to do. Abraham rises early in the morning after he gets the vision of God. He just gets up and does what God tells him to do, and he calls it worship. And from this story, I think we can accurately see, and we're going to build off of this, that I think the proper definition for worship is obedience. Worship is obedience. Jesus says in John 14, there's a few right back to back here. It says, if you love me, you'll keep my, keep my commandments. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. He also says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. See, love and worship go hand in hand because you can't worship something you hate. And God says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This love and obedience go hand in hand. Worship is obedience. Abraham called it worship. Because he was simply obeying God. I can't imagine being in that type of state. We hear the promise that Abraham had been waiting for. Seemed to be like almost given up and God wants him to do that. Yet Abraham had faith. right? We're told he's the father of our faith. We're told without faith it's impossible to please God. And Abraham had faith that God who fulfilled the promise will ultimately fulfill his promises. And he chose to obey if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham knew what was going on. It says that Abraham considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead. Abraham went to do what God told him to do in obedience. And he, went, he calls it worship before he knew the end result because he knew God had to show up in some way. He'd done it before. He's going to do it again. And this is just another way to worship the Lord. Now I've defined worship as obedience because obedience is more than an act of worship. Because without worship or without obedience, you can't worship. Okay, sometimes we look like, oh, obedience is an act of worship. Singing's an act. Sing obedience is much more than an act because it's impossible to worship the Lord apart from it. So, if worship is obedience, then what has God commanded us to do? Now, He's commanded us to do a lot of things, but today I want to focus on what we see every Sunday here at this church. And I'm going to focus on two areas that you're going to see every Sunday. There's others that we're commanded to do, and it isn't like these are more or anything like that. But others do have special circumstances. So I want to focus on what we'll see each and every Sunday that God commands us to do. The first thing would be that if worship is obedience, we must preach God's word. Most of us would agree that this is fundamental to a church. 
And without biblical preaching, it's not a biblical church. And I would agree with them. But why? Why is that the case? Are we told to do that? Matter of fact, we are. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. He says, until I come to vote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. He tells Timothy in the second letter, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Very light, right? I mean, that, that, you can't get stronger word than that. He says, I charge you to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Paul also writes to Titus. Titus is similar to Timothy. Titus is left in Crete and he's left to set up the church just like Timothy was. And he tells him that when you appoint an elder or a pastor of a church, it says that he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. He goes on to tell Titus what sound doctrine is. And he says in chapter 2, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. We're commanded to preach God's word unapologetically. And when we do that in obedience, it's worship. Let's not forget that God gives churches pastors, right? Ephesians chapter 4. God gave the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and now the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And if you continue to read, they do that by teaching and instructing people in God's word. Pastor Aaron and I have a very strong conviction that each and every Sunday we're going to preach the God's word faithfully. And the moment that stops is the moment that he and I need to get out of here. Teaching God's word is a primary function of the church. And preaching is one of the ways that happens. But there's another way that teaching God's word happens. And it's probably the most misunderstood way. See, we, we worship when we preach God's word, but we also worship when we sing God's word. Again, this is very misunderstood. Some of us experience this in our own church life growing up where you see a, an emphasis, not that they've elevated preaching to a level it shouldn't be, but that they've lowered singing to a level it shouldn't be. I've seen this all the time, and sadly, most of the time that happens is because singing or worship or whatever you, know, whatever you want to call it, they, they don't have someone to do it. And so they're, in their mind, they start to justify, well, preaching is what's most important. Singing, ah, just whoever we can do it. I serve as the worship connector in Columbus, and I get to work with churches all the time. And the primary function of that organization is to help churches with their music ministry, because most of them don't have one. Most of them are struggling with that. And Pastor Aaron, he gets to assess church planters all the time through the Southern Baptist Convention. And these are pastors getting ready to plant churches. And Aaron will correct me if I'm wrong. None of them are, have someone to lead worship or to sing or to do any of that on a Sunday. And I think it's because it's very misunderstood. Again, not that they've elevated preaching to where it shouldn't be. It should be up here. But they've brought singing all the way down. And it's sad. And I think it's because we've misunderstood. So if worship is obedience, and the acts of worship that are done in true obedience, those acts are equal. If, if, if worship is obedience, no matter what we do in obedience, they're, they're equal. That's why here at the church we have a very even amount of singing and preaching. In fact, if Pastor Aaron ever wants to cut a song, I'm going to have him come back and listen to this, this message. But now you might be thinking, oh, wait a second, we're commanded to preach God's word. Are we commanded to sing God's word? As a matter of fact, we are. With over 400 references to singing in the Bible, 50 are direct commands to sing. This shouldn't come as a shock. 
we got the book of Psalms, which just so happens to be the largest book in all the Bible. And I do have to make this side note. When we look at the Psalms, they're songs, right? And we, we very quickly like to, again, our terminology becomes our theology. We very quickly like to say, oh, those are songs, therefore they're the same as our songs. No, they're not. There's a reason our songs are here. The Psalms are in the Bible, right? God had given David his word directly through song. They're very different than our songs. Yet God chooses to sing his word throughout the Psalms. Shouldn't also come as a shock that God also sings. Look at uh, Zephaniah 3, verse 17. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Jesus, we're told, sings hymns with the disciples in Matthew 26. After they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. In Hebrews 2, 12, it speaks of Jesus saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. God sings. That should be obvious with the Psalms. So let's look at some of the commands that we are to sing. Not all of them, because there's 50 of them. I won't bore you with all that. I've already got, you know, complaints about how many slides I have today, so... <laughs> but let's look at a few of these. And again, with the Psalms, they're not like our Psalms. A lot of times we repeat choruses. We do that because, you know, we, we want to repeat something or whatever. But again, when it's repeated in the Bible, it's because it matters. This is God's word being sung. It isn't that just, hey, we ought to sing that again. It sounded good. So notice these, the repetition, too. In Psalms 9:11, sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the people his deeds. Psalm 149, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises, for God is the king of all the earth, sing praises with the song. Ephesians 5.19, be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And then today's passage, Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. See, the longer you walk with the Lord, you realize that His commandments are not a burden. His commandments are for His glory and ultimately for your benefit. When God commands you to do something, He's not trying to restrict you. He's got something better for you. So why singing? Why does God call us to sing? Why does He command us to sing? Well, there's a story in Deuteronomy 31 that I think is very powerful. God tells Moses that after Moses dies, a generation will rise up. And we know this took place with Joshua. And God's going to lead the people into the land. But He says they're going to turn to other gods at some point. And look. Look what God tells Moses to do. He says, Now therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my commandment. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness. Look at this. For it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. This song, two generations past, will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. How many of us know songs from a kid? 
Like as we were growing up, anyone can start it. And, like, oh, and you know every single word, even though you thought you forgot it. Songs stick with us. This is common knowledge too, even in the secular world when it comes to memorization. If you want to memorize it, they say it all the time. Put your words to a song because it creates a melody. There's all these different things that your brain can then use to rebuild the message. Singing's powerful. This truth is actually sung in Psalm 77, which, by the way, Devin wrote a song on this. And so hopefully we're going to sing that sooner than later. But in Psalm 77, look what it says. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Singing is powerful. We're commanded to sing. And when we sing in obedience, that is worship. But it begs the question, can we sing and it not be worship? Yes, we can. You can do the right thing for the wrong reasons. And that's not worship. We're not to just go through the motions. A very clear picture of that is in Malachi. God is... Uh, has the people that are offering these sacrifices and the way they're doing it is just, just completely wrong. Look at Malachi chapter 1. Notice the language God uses too. He says, With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of the hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Down in verse 13, you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it. These people are offering sacrifices to God, yet completely in the wrong attitude. They're offering sacrifices and then complaining God's not doing anything, but there's more to it than that. Not only were they doing it for the wrong reasons, they weren't even doing what was right. You see, on the outside, and in this case, even on the inside, it looked right. God required a sacrifice without blemish. A sacrifice that was spotless, one that cost you dearly because it showed the, the cost of sin. Yet even though they were offering the sacrifice and everything looked right, notice what was really going on in Malachi chapter 3. He says, you bring what has been taken by violence or as lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering? Shall I accept that from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. God told them to bring a spotless sacrifice that cost them dearly from their own flock, something that showed the cost of sin. And they were stealing other people's stuff that even had flaws, and they're offering it to God, and then they're complaining he's not doing anything. He said, cursed be you to do that. In the New Testament, we see the same thing. And in Matthew, what it shows us is what causes this, what causes us to fall into this trap. Look at Matthew 15. Jesus says, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Did you catch what they were doing? They were worshiping commandments of men instead of worshiping the commandments of God. Therefore, their worship was in vain. So how do we do it right? Let's go back to our passage in Colossians 3. Verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. See, letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, that's the key. That's what actually needs to take place. 
How do we make sure that we're not, you know, following the, the commandments of man? Because that's what they were doing. They were teaching as doctrine the commandments of man. So what men decided was right. They were teaching that as doctrine. The only way to make sure we don't do that is to know God's word. That's why we preach the word and that's why we sing the word. When it says that let the word of Christ dwell in you richer, that word dwell means to take up residency. It's a picture of a home that's been inhabited. How does the word of Christ dwell in us? It's through the Holy Spirit, right? John uh, 14, 26, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. God doesn't leave us hanging. He's commanded us to do what he's equipped us to do, right? It comes down to obedience. We're told to teach and admonish one another through our singing. What teaches and admonish you? but the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We're commanded to sing, but not just any song. We're commanded to sing God's word. And the reason for that is that we don't forget it. Here at this church, we've got a process when it comes to introducing new songs. If you want to just say, hey, Joe, we ought to sing this song and expect it to happen next week, you've come to the wrong church. And it's not because we don't want to do that. But there is a process because we have a strong conviction that we've been commanded to sing God's word. So there's going to be a picture on the screen of kind of what we do with new songs. Now, I know you can't really see this, and that's okay. I can show it to you later. On the left are the lyrics to the song that we just sang before this message. On the right are the scripture references that directly say the same thing. And we do all that to, to be confident that what we're singing is actually God's word because that matters. It's something that uh, a mentor of mine had me do. And it seems cumbersome at first. It takes a while. But man, what a joy to just, again, have the privilege to dive into Scripture, to actually look at it, and then the confidence that when we sing a song, we're singing God's word. It's incredible. I'm not the only one who does that. Seth has done that, Devin has done that, Aaron has done that, Beth Rutzen has done that. So if you want to sing a song, we want to sing a song, but let's do that first. And there's other things that are practical that we do, but that's the key. We're commanded to sing God's word. And again, why? Just like with Moses. But it'll live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. When we sing God's word, we pass God's word on to our children and our children's children. Nothing better than we can do been commanded to sing, but we've also been commanded to sing together. We're told in Colossians, teaching and admonishing one another. God calls us to gather together and to sing his word. In the Psalms, we see stuff like we're to sing among the people, Psalm 19, 11. In the assembly of the, godly, of the godly, I said godly twice. In the assembly of the godly, Psalm 149, 1. And both in Ephesians and Colossians, we're to sing to one another. And a lot of times you've heard this, people really fight back. Again, you know, you got these pastors, they'll use Hebrews 10, 25, don't forsake the assembly of one another. And they'll say, ah, that's, that's crazy, you know. We're the church, right? And they're right, we are the church. But the reality of it is, is I'm not the church by myself. You're not the church by yourself. We're the church when we gather together. Now, no one's arguing that you can't gather at home at a small church or anything, or you got to be in a mega church. No one's arguing that. And it also doesn't negate the fact that you still have to worship God on a daily basis. You're commanded to devote your life to him, but he's also commanded us to gather together. 
however that may look. And when we do that, we're to preach the word and we're to sing the word. And again, these commandments aren't burdensome. They're for his glory and for our benefit. In Colossians, we're told we're commanded to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, there's a reason I didn't just focus just on this passage, because this verse gets taken out of context all the time. I've, I've been in the worship thing for a while, teaching churches, doing all the training, and everyone likes to argue about this stuff. Psalms, they, they, they kind of leave that off to the side, because no one knows how the psalms were sung, so they kind of ignore that. And then hymns and spiritual songs, and they battle. Hey, you're supposed to sing the old hymns. We're, all, we're supposed to sing this spontaneous, spirit-filled worship, whatever it is. The reason I built the context is because that's foolish when we look at this. The reality of it is we're told to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Psalms, no, no shock there, it's the book of psalms. Again, you and I don't know how those were sung. But it doesn't matter because when you sing the psalms, you're singing God's word. Hymns, hate to break it to you, is not amazing grace. This was written far before amazing grace was. Hymns is a song of praise. Again, you sing the Bible, you will sing hymns. And then these spiritual songs, these are spirit-revealed praise. What does the Spirit reveal? We just read it in John 14, 26. He reveals God's Word to you. The reality of it is we're supposed to sing God's Word. There's many ways we can do that. And we shouldn't argue about the ways we do it as long as we're singing His Word. When we sing, we're to have thankfulness in our heart. There's a lot of songs out there. And if they proclaim God's word and you sing them in obedience to him, that's worship. Now, we've seen the examples of how it can be done wrong. I want to show you an example of how it can be done right. And I just discovered this this week, and it was, a, it was phenomenal to kind of put yourself in that position. Second Chronicles chapter 5, about halfway down verse 13, we see something here. It says, when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments, then praise to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's what they sung. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with the clouds so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. That's true worship. That's worship that I want to be a part of. And I have to say it, this isn't some man-made dust falling from the ceiling. This is the glory of God when his people worship him. And that's what we're looking for. And God manifests himself in all different ways. Just because we haven't seen God's glory fill this in a cloud where we can't see doesn't mean he's not here. Many of you know what I'm talking about when you felt the presence of God. That's what we're looking to do. And that happens through obedience. So how do we make sure that we never mess this up? How do we make sure that we're doing the right things? Let's look at verse 17 and then we're going to close. Verse 17 says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. It's all about Christ. Thankfulness for what He's done. And as Christians, could we ever get to a point where we don't have something to be thankful for? And there's moments where you feel like you can't praise. You can't sing His praises. And that's when I think it's beneficial to go back to what Abraham did. Right? Abraham obeyed when it didn't make sense, knowing that God was faithful and he could be trusted. We're commanded to sing praises because when you praise in those moments where it doesn't make sense, it makes it so much easier to praise in every other situation. God doesn't tell us how many songs to sing before the message. He doesn't tell us what type of songs to sing. He doesn't tell us how many hymns, how many contemporary. He just says, sing the word of God. Preach the word of God. 
And when you do that with obedience, it's worship. Churches are going to look different from one another. Even ones that preach the Bible and sing the Bible, they're going to look different. And that's okay. As long as whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I'm going to ask the praise team to come. And if you'll bow your head as we reflect on this. And I just want you to think about your own obedience to God. We've all got different backgrounds of church. We've all got different walks with Christ, some longer, some shorter. Again, when God commands you to do something, it's for His glory and for your good. In the Old Testament, when the law is, re- law is given, the people rejoice because God has instructed them on how they're to live. We've been commanded to preach the word. We've been commanded to sing the Lord. And we should rejoice because of that. We all have different ways of doing it. But worship is obedience. And so I want you to take just a moment and reflect. Are you doing that? If you haven't, call out to God. He'll help you through that. He deserves our worship and he commands our worship. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given us instruction. And God, we're so thankful that you haven't commanded us to do something that's not possible. Even in the the very complete sense where you call us to be perfect, you did that for us too. God, I pray today that if there's someone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that doesn't understand anything that I'm saying, that God, you would open their eyes to the gospel. That if they would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, that they would be saved. And that they would begin to experience life with the Spirit as they teach and equip them in the Word. God, I pray that you'd be with us now as we respond in song, as we, as we worship through our obedience and singing the Word, that, God, we would do that the right way for the right reasons. God, I give you the praise for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.